Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online. Music is the beating heart of Malian culture, but when Islamic hardliners took control of northern Mali in 2012, they enforced one of the harshest interpretations of Sharia law in history, and crucially in Mali. They banned all forms of music, radio stations were destroyed, instruments were burned, and Mali musicians faced torture and even death. This is the background of, the, of this wonderful um, documentary called They Will Have to Kill Us First. It is the story of Malian musicians and their struggles, and it also serves as a wonderful primer into what is going on in this African nation of Mali. Uh, we're joined today by the director, producer, camera operator, etc., etc., and that would be Johanna Schwartz. Johanna, welcome to. Film. Hi. Hi. Wow, what a what a, a remarkable undertaking this film must have been. Um, where did you get the idea to do this documentary? Well, you know, I I read about the music then, like many other people around the world, in the newspaper. Um, it was. I live in, in the UK, in London, and um, it was quite a big story at the time, in, in 2012, end of 2012, beginning of 2013. And, you know, some stories just hit you sideways. And this was one of those stories. I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't fathom trying to ban music in a place like Mali, where music is everything, where music is the prime way that people communicate with each other. And um, I, I didn't really decide to make this film. I just got on an airplane. Um, I grabbed my camera woman, who I've been working with for over a decade. We, you know, I got my credit card out, and we got on an airplane and went. It was, um, it was just something that you know I sort of felt like I had to do, um, and so we hit the ground running and and began filming on that that very first morning. Well, you must have done a little bit of prep work in terms of who you wanted to to include in the film. Was there a particular sort of point person for you in terms of? of uh, getting access to the people that you needed to uh, get access to? Mm, I mean, the, the, the very first trip that we took was, I thought, before we went, actually just going to be a research trip. So I contacted a filmmaker I knew who had been in the country before, got a number of a local fixer, a local you know, producer, mm-hmm. and um, you know, called him up and said, hey, I'm coming, and, and do you want to show us around? He said, yes, absolutely. And uh, that very first morning, he met us at the airport, and he took me to the house of Hira Arbi, who is one of the most famous uh, female Malian singers uh, within the country. And it was really at that moment that I thought, okay, actually, this is sort of interesting. <laughs> you know, on the very first morning of a research trip, mm-hmm. we're in the house of one of the most famous singers of Mali, and we're, we're filming the most extraordinary interview. And, um, you know, it, it was just one of those things. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a real struggle to find the people that, that you want to put in your film, and sometimes things just happen in front of you. Um, and, and this was one of those cases. So from there, we, we carried on filming. We probably, in the first few shoots, filmed about twice as many people uh, as ended up in the actual film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the natural storytellers just sort of emerged from the pack and, and, and the stories that, you know, we wanted to find a range of people, people who had different experiences with the conflict, not all the same story. And, um, you know, we really just went from there. We felt our way through 
But, you know, there certainly was not a great deal of planning done beforehand. It was, this was more of a gut feeling. You know, this story has to be told. Let's get out there. Let's tell this story. I discussed it with, you know, just a handful of people beforehand, but that's it. When did you, now, we, uh, when did this start? Did, I mean, you, you must have read about this or known about this around 2012. Is that about right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. W- how long after this thing, the story grabbed you? Did you decide, I'm going to go? It was go. a few months. Just a few months. It was a few months. Okay. Yeah, there was, a, there was a couple of months turnaround. It's actually really interesting. Um, around the time that I decided to make the film, I actually got pregnant at exactly the same time. Are you kidding? So um, there, were, there were a few choices to make there, um, <laughs> but we decided to carry on and, and make the film anyway. I think the, uh, you know, I started filming um, early on in, in 2013 in the spring with some Malian artists who actually came to the UK, and then we did our first trip. Um, in 2013, and I was like four or five months pregnant at the time. It was um, it was pretty wild. I I can only imagine it, how wild it was. Um, now let's back up a little bit for our listeners and explain to them where Molly is and sort of the if you want to get into sort of the geopolitical aspects mm. of why it is being fought over uh, part of a sort of a greater bigger picture but just for the for just for now where is Mali okay so Mali is in West Africa um, it's north of Nigeria it's south of Libya and Algeria um, it's landlocked um, it's an incredibly rich uh, culture um, there are there are a lot of, you know like in like in many countries in Africa you have a lot of different ethnic groups all within the same country I think there's something like 13 main languages um, uh, but really, Mali is most famous around the world for its music. Um, uh, my co-writer, Andy Morgan, often says, you know, music is Mali's soft power. Um, music is what Mali is known for all around the world. You know, great artists like Ali Farkatore, yes. um, Tanariwin, Amadou and Mariam. These are, you know, quite famous names. Um, Rokia Traore, uh, uh, people like that. And, um, you know, a lot of people travel to Mali for its music and to go to its famous music festivals, like the Festival in the Desert, where Robert Plant and Bono have played. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really been, it was, it was really the birthplace of, of, of the blues. If you think about what the blues are, mm-hmm. you know, they came from Mali. And out of the blues, you, you know, you have rock and roll, and out of rock and roll, you have, you know, so many other forms of music. So a lot of our, our musical heritage, you know, we owe to, you know, the desert, uh, you know, outside of Timbuktu in, in Mali, that's where it all came from. And, um, you know, it's, it, Mali finds itself in a situation that a lot of countries find itself in, where you have, you know, one group in one part of the country, so for instance in Mali, they're in the north, who feel that they're being underrepresented by the government in the south. Um, you know, this is a group, uh, there was an army in the north called the MNLA, um, they wanted to be autonomous. They wanted to form their own country. And so they rose up. This isn't the first time they've risen up, but this was the most recent time they rose up in 2012 to start a rebellion, to, to create an autonomous region in the north where they, they could represent themselves. And uh, really it was this skirmish between the MNLA in the north and the, the sitting government in the south that caused the instability, the vulnerability, that allowed the extremist groups in the region to take advantage and um, take over the whole north of the country and, and declare Sharia law you know, uh, uh, across all of the major cities. And so the, the area that they took over in the north was probably about the size of California, Texas combined. I mean, it's quite a large area. And, um, 
you know, so, so you had for about nine, ten months there in, in 2012, beginning of 2013, you had the Islamic extremists controlling the entire north of Mali. And um, it was very brutal. Yeah. And, and, and you just mentioned um, the, the name of one of the cities in Mali that people have Timbuktu. heard. Timbuktu. And I know that's sort of a famous, I think it's from the 40s or something. There's a, there's a, I know a, there's a Bob Hope movie. I think there's sort of a <laughs> cultural references here in America. We have no idea. Yeah, a lot of people don't believe it's real. Yeah. <laughs> there, I was going to say, it's, it does sound mystical. Mythical. Yes, um, it does. And uh, it is, a, an, a, um, for people who, to describe the music, I would say it's sort of a syncopatic uh, kind of a, a looping slow blues feel to it. It does have definitely a an American blues sound. I mean, it came from there, but we, we yeah. would associate that sound with American, uh, maybe Chicago blues. It's very kind of, yeah, I don't know. Am I doing it justice? Well, how would you describe it? Yeah, sure. That? I mean, there, there are actually so many different styles of music in Mali. Yeah, yeah. Every region has their own you know, particular beat and their own particular style. But the, but the blues that, that, that you're talking about, the sort of desert blues, absolutely. I mean, it's, I think it's something that, you know, when people who, who think that they haven't heard Malian music before hear it for the first time, they say, oh, I know this. <laughs> oh, sure. This is familiar to me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not that far away to the music that we, that we know and love. And you, you mentioned Ali Fakhar Tori, uh, who's mm. wonderful, and has a, there's n- a number of his family members as well that have, have gone on to be well-known, what we call world musicians. Um, mm-hmm. It's a beautiful sound. And uh, throughout the film, and obviously this is what I think you're hoping to convey, is how important music, period, it, for any culture is, but particularly for a country which with such a rich tradition and... Um, and it just beautiful people, just wonderful, just yeah. seem to be very it's, it's, peaceful people. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I have, I've traveled all over the world, and I've been to many countries where music is incredibly important. You know, Cuba, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. Estonia, for instance. But really, the, I've, I've never been anywhere where music is as important as it is in Mali. When you wait, where you have a country that doesn't have an incredibly strong press, you know, something needs to rise up and... and, and and, and take the place of a very strong press. And in Mali, that's music, and, and that's the way it's been done for, you know, as, as long as anyone can remember. Music is not uh, just, you know, it's not just sort of pop songs and, and, and songs about love and songs about, you know, boys and girls and, and, and what have you. We were talking about this earlier, actually, with, with the band from the film. It's, you know, it's, it's the way that, that Malians educate each other. It's the way that they talk about what's going on and, you know, who's in power and what do they want to happen to the country and what's come before and what might come in the future. Your music is the way that people express themselves. Uh, you know, it, yes, it is freedom of expression. Yes, it is. This is my, you know, deepest heart's desire. But this is also what's happening around me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, messages about health, messages about, you know, education. You know, this is all happening through music. And, um, you know, a lot of the people in the film say that the reason music was attacked so specifically in Mali by the extremist groups was because that was how everyone communicated with each other. Yeah. And uh, our writer, Andy Morgan, told a really incredible story earlier. He was talking to a, a northern Tuareg musician from Mali uh, not, too, not too long ago who said, well, it was really stupid when they banned music because how are they going to communicate with each other if they don't have any music? How will they tell the other jihadists what they want to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it, it just sounds completely bonkers. But, um, you know, that's just the way culture is there. And it is, it's incredibly special. 
We're joined today by the director, producer, writer, cameraman, a camera person on the film, They Will Have to Kill Us First, a documentary about um, Molly and the musicians and the uh, horror that has been visited upon these poor people um, by by not only sort of internal forces but external forces as well. At one time, I believe Molly was a, a colony of France or some... That's right, some, yeah. yeah. And uh, and in the midst of all of this horror, this ongoing conflict, France was called in or was came in uh, briefly to uh, to try and um, try and end it, settle some of the, the what was going on. I'm not even sure. And I don't know how far down this road we want to go in terms of discussing the geopolitical aspects of it. Mm. I, I, I it's up to you, honestly, <clears throat> Joanna, uh, how how you want to uh, talk about this, but. It's uh, this film is about the people, and about uh, what seems to me something very very basic is something, and that's self-expression through music. But self-expression period seems to be under um, uh, is under attack and has has created an awful situation for these people. But um, it it would be an awful lot to unpack just exactly how all of these groups are interacting with one another or in conflict with one another. Is there mm, is there right. go ahead? If there's something overarching that would sort of give us some clarity as to how to understand what's going on in Mali. Like yeah, I mean I think you know the, the politics are very complicated and complex, and I you know I hope that we do a good job of unpacking that in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's it's. You know, where you have vulnerability in a country, that's when you know you're you 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 can fall victim to outside forces, and and you know there's there's a, there's a lot to be said for you know accountability and transparency and 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 um, you know fighting against corruption and you know all of these things which you know help to create a more stable government which you know leaves you slightly more impervious to to outside forces and, yeah. and extremists coming in and 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 trying to take over your country. But the thing that I think is really important that everyone remembers about this film is that this is not a film about oh those poor people in Africa oh gosh how horrible things have happened to them that is literally the last thing in the world that we wanted to make this film is a punk rock film (laughs) about some punk rock musicians who when they were told you can't sing they decided to sing even louder and this is a a story about resistance and solidarity and uh, the energy I think that emanates from this film is really important and um, you know, I've I've worked in Africa for about fifteen years, you know, on and off. The, the the experiences that I've had there have been have been transformational for me. And you know, I never really saw very much, you know, back at home. I never saw I, I never saw many things that that were representing the Africa that I knew, and the Africa that I saw, and the Africa that I experienced. And I really wanted to bring my experiences to the table and allow people to see what I saw and to meet the people that I met. And, um, you know, there's so much in this film that I think people can, 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 can take with them. You know, with all of the, the, uh, the talk of the, you know, the news that, that we're seeing every single night about refugees and this refugee crisis, which is absolutely horrific. But the way that, that the refugees are being portrayed is just not something that I recognize. Mm. And every single person in this film is a refugee, and they spend the entire film trying to get back home. And uh, that's not something that, that we hear about, and I think that's really important. I think it's also really important to note that every single person in this film is Muslim, and yet here they are being being almost destroyed by people saying, well, you know, you're not a real Muslim, I'm a real Muslim. I mean, what is that all about? Right. You know, there, there are so many... There are so many 
things that we can turn on their head with a film like this and, and change the narrative, you know, that, that, that I don't think is correct um, at the moment, that I don't think is accurate, I should say, at, at the moment. But, you know, really this is a story about people standing up for themselves, and I think that that is universal. Yeah, and, and thank you for for straightening me out on that. It, this is a film, this is a positive film in, in the way that you described it, about these musicians and about their resistance and their determination and their energy and their creativity. Uh, in it. And so to that end, yes. We, you mentioned at the beginning um, Hira Arby mm. um, as one of the musicians. Let, let's mention some of the other people that are in the film who are pretty darn terrific. Uh, uh, Musa Ag Sidi, is that correct? Yeah, Musa Sidi. Musa, okay. Paul Musa. Musa's such a wonderful guy. He's a jobbing, a jobbing guitarist from a city called Gao. Um, incredibly relaxed guy. Mm-hmm. Went with the flow. <laughs> kind of played with this band and that band. You know, really beautiful guitarist. Yes. Um, you know, not hugely ambitious. Uh, when the jihadists came to town and said, "We are all living under Sharia law now, and you have to pack up your instruments." He complied. He said, okay, I'm going to pack up my instruments. I mean, he, he literally did not know what to do. And um, I thought that was a really interesting, an interesting character to put in the film. Um, you know, n- not everyone in this film felt like it was their role to stand up to the jihadists, at least not at first. And I thought that was, that was really fascinating. You know, M- Mus- I mean, Musa's story is, is, is incredibly too complex to, to get into in further detail now. But, you know, the way that he reacted to the music ban was was pretty extraordinary, I thought. But yeah. then you have a band like Songhoi Blues, who would not even be a band if it wasn't for the jihadists coming in. These four guys met when they were on the run. They were yeah. all in exile in Bamako, the capital city in the south, met at a wedding and decided to form a band. They formed their band because music was banned. Um, <laughs> and, and, and they you know, were then discovered by Damon Albarn, lead singer of Blur and the Gorillas catapulted to international stardom, have done tours across the UK, about to embark on a tour across Australia, then they come back to the US to do a tour across the United States. Um, you know, they're, they're, all of a sudden, they're the, you know, they're the ambassadors from Mali out there, you know, spreading the word of, of, you know, about what's going on and through their incredibly joyous and energetic music, yeah. which is extraordinary. You know, everyone in this film had a very different experience with the conflict. You have disco real name Fatima Walat Umar, nicknamed Disco, because she won all the disco dancing competitions in Timbuktu <laughs> in the 1980s. Um, she she you know, loved she's, Madonna. She's a ball of fire. <laughs> she, she, you know, she stands up to anyone who, who tries to get in her way, and, and she's absolutely determined to sing. Yeah. With Hira Arby, the eldest character of, of all, who was so depressed when we found her that she couldn't even sing. And by the end of the film, she's the one leading the charge, bringing music back to the north of Mali. I mean, what an incredible journey and, and what an incredible honor to, to be living the lives, with, uh, the, the lives of these musicians with them over, over a two-year period. It was, it, was a, it was a gift, really. Yeah. We're, we're speaking with Johanna Schwartz. She is the director, producer, writer, and camera operator of the, on, on the film, They Will Have to Kill Us First. Um, it, you know, for people who want to find out more about the film, uh, you have a Facebook page. You have a bunch yeah, of yeah. Oh, yeah. Our website is they will have to kill us first dot com. Okay. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You name it, we're on it. Um, okay. We have all kinds of fun photos and, and behind the scenes things and extra bits of video content and right. and tattoo walls. We have a wonderful tattoo of the film's title and uh, that we're giving away at Songhai Blues gigs and screenings and, and people are tweeting us the photos. So, right. you know, we're really active. 
um, on social media. And, and really, you know, for us, what, what we want to do is get the word out there as much as we can and get as many people seeing this film as possible. Film is coming out in New York City on Friday, March 4th. Mm-hmm. It's coming out in L.A. on April 1st, and we're rolling out to lots of other cities. Um, you know, if you if you live in a city and you want us to bring the film to you, uh, you know, sign up on our on our website, and we'll figure out a way to do it. That's excellent. And the hashtag they will have to kill us first for uh, for people on Twitter, uh, yep. and uh, in music in exile is it where you would yeah. go to, uh, for that account. That's our Twitter handle. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter handle and and a bunch of yeah, so cool. And and I'm going to have this posted. For our listeners at uh, filmschoolradio.com, we'll have all of this information as well. But you can go to the website. They will have to kill us first.com to find to that would be your probably your best source. But uh, yeah. for, for information, <laughs> there's lots of fun stuff on there. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I just you you mentioned uh, sort of in passing that you were pregnant when you as you were deciding to do this. In terms of your personal safety, uh, what what sort of peril did you face when you were uh, when you were doing this? Where's was there? Did you, what was your re- experience like in in in? Well, you know, it sort of really depended on where you were. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the time when we were filming, uh, if you if you stuck to the south of the country, you were pretty much okay, mm-hmm. and you really only had to worry when you went up north to Gao, Timbuktu, Kidal. Um, you know, so for instance, when we, the, the final scenes in the film take place in Timbuktu, mm-hmm. um, when Hira Arbi decides to try and stage a concert there, and, and there had been no, no public uh, music for three years at that point in Timbuktu, and when we were looking into filming that scene, we decided that at that stage we needed to get proper security. So um, MINUSMA, which is the UN mission, a peacekeeping mission in Mali, decided to help us. Um, it took a while to convince them, but they eventually said they will help us. So, um, you know, we, we traveled with armed guards, et cetera, et cetera. When we were down in the south, in Bamako, in Burkina Faso, you know, it was less necessary to have such, you know, blatant security. We just kept our wits about us. We we had our local fixers and producers with us. You know, we, we had our ear to the ground. Um, you know, we wouldn't go anywhere where there were rumors, you know, that, 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 that there were extremists in the area. And, and we just looked after ourselves. So, you know, it was, it was just, it was a movable feast, you know, as, as any of these situations are. And you just have to look out for yourself and, 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 you know, try to make the best decisions, you know, that you can. This is a terrific film, a terrific documentary. Uh, just as you described it, there's tremendous energy in it. It's, it's so heartwarming to see people who, under, the, under these very difficult circumstances find that they find themselves in, are willing to stand up to um, to all kinds, who knows? The unknown is a lot of this, and the known, the known um, violence that's been occurring throughout their country. Uh, mm. And and as you describe these people, they're in the film. As you describe them, they're intelligent, energetic, you know, motivated people, giving, loving people, and um, and this is fantastic music. I I really, uh, as you said, you you know this music before you know where it's from and when you hear it it's a very distinct sound uh and it's beautiful it's beautiful music all throughout the film and and uh thank you <laughs> for for bringing <laughs> bringing this to our attention is there anything that you would like to update us on in terms of of uh the country of uh Mali is there is there is are, are things looking better or what what would you how would you assess the current political situation there a little bit. You know, I, I can't quite figure out if the country's in a better situation or not. 
you know, in some in some ways, it's in a much better situation um, than you know 2012, 2013, because the jihadists are no longer in control of the northern cities. Theoretically, music isn't banned anymore. But, um, you know, everybody knows that the jihadists are still hanging around. They haven't mm-hmm. gone anywhere. They may not be in, in, in power, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that creates a lot of tension and a lot of fear. Um, you know, music is trickling back in, especially in the South. There were, there were a couple of wonderful music festivals in Bamako, in the capital, at, right at the end of January, where, where the characters from our film played. Um, you know, so, so things are getting better. But at the same time, the, the attacks by the extremist groups have spread from the north to the south. So I mentioned earlier that as long as we stayed in the south, we, we knew that we were pretty much okay. That's actually no longer the case. So actually, since we stopped filming, there have been attacks in Bamako. One week after the Bataclan attack in Paris, there was a hotel siege in Bamako, and a number of people died. That's Unfortunately, right. they lost their lives. That's right, I Just a few weeks ago in Ouagadougou, in Burkina Faso, over the border, where a lot of the film was shot, there was another attack. Um, at a hotel and a restaurant that we used to go to pretty much every day, and a lot of people lost their lives. So, so the extremist attacks have have become a little bit more erratic, I should say. You know, perhaps they're not as frequent as they were at the height of the conflict, but they're they're more unpredictable now. So it's really hard to say what's going to happen in Mali. There have been some, you know, some movements towards towards the the, the peace accords that have been signed, and and and, and people. You know, behaving a bit better, but you know, it's really, it's really hard to say right now. And mm-hmm. and you know, I just, I, I listen to all of my people on the ground, and I'm following the situation incredibly closely. But you know, you, the Garba, the guitarist of Songhai Blues, last time he was home visiting his family in Dire, which is very close to Timbuktu, there was a massive shootout right outside his house, and he and his parents um, and his cousins were, you know, had to hide inside for about an hour while these two groups were shooting outside his home. Yeah. And this is, you know, in between his world tours, you know, he <laughs> managed to get home for a few weeks and this is what happens. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it's really hard to say, but, you know, I, I, I just encourage everyone to try to see the film, yeah. um, to go out and, and listen, find some, some great Malian bands like Songhoi Blues, listen to their album, try to catch them on tour because the shows are wild and fun and and really the best time that you'll have um and and let's just see if we can you know spread the story around and get people talking about freedom freedom of musical expression um mali west africa extremism and everything yeah did you say that they had ramped up their uh your, their u.s tour or, or do you know if they're no it's just about it's about to start april oh. begins in april oh even better okay well i'm sure they'll be yeah. in los angeles so people yes yes they're in la on the actually on the 29th of um 29th of no sorry what's the last day of march uh the 31st of sorry march. the 31st yes but sorry the 29th of san diego 31st of march they're playing in la and then on the 1st of april the film plays in la fantastic wow well thank you for that information uh i will definitely post that as well onto the site so uh, people are interested in seeing the band with that it will be a fun gig yeah i bet it will well. be i bet it will be well it has been just Wonderful to have you on today. I, I am, uh, again, in, in addition to being a terrific filmmaker, uh, all the best to you uh, Thank on you. this and and, uh, um, and the film moving forward. So once again, uh, the director, writer, producer, and camera person on this wonderful documentary called They Will Have to Kill Us First, and that would be Johanna Schwartz. Johanna, thank you so much for being on Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome.
Take care. <laughs> Good night. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.